And now, deep from an underground fortress from an undisclosed location, from Long Island, New York, Miano Gone Wild. Police us. crazy. We're crazy in, in a positive way. Miano Gone Wild. Police us. A program like no other. We can tell them the truth and it hurts. Zeal empowered by knowledge. Miano Gone Wild. Miano Gone Wild with your host, Michael Miano, Defender of Truth. Same thing we do every night. Try to take over the world. Destroying the strongholds of bondage and setting the captives free. From the Power and Preterism Network, here, here is Michael Miano. Well, good day to you. Again, I always love that and appreciate that introduction there from Mr. Larry Siegel of Fulfilled Dynamics. Matter of fact, I'm looking forward to hearing him preach at the upcoming Preterist Pilgrim Weekend taking place this upcoming Thursday through Saturday in Ardmore, Oklahoma. I would encourage you to visit eschatology.org to learn more about that. So I have an exciting show lined up for us today, as uh, many of you may have noticed. Um, we're going to have an interview with author Brian Godawa today. Um, I've recently read and reviewed his book, Tyrant, and wow, you know, such a good read. And uh, prayerfully, you had some time to read that review over there at mianogonewild.wordpress.com. And uh, I know I'm looking forward to talking with him. So moving right into things, you know, I actually find myself in a season lately um, where I'm challenging myself to read more books. I uh, in the last couple of days, I developed a commitment to um, want to read at least one book every two weeks, um, and usually I can finish a book rather quickly, so instead of trying to force myself to uh, bring the book out uh, all the way to two weeks, what I've decided is I'll use that time in between to either continue to review the book or to uh, and, you know, absorb the information or to review other books that I've read before and uh, just want to kind of go through the, um, the details. You know, so many things I could say. I, I just, I have a love for reading. And uh, earlier today, I was actually looking up some inspiration, some quotes, if you will, regarding reading. And they say, uh, read more, lead better. Uh, that obviously pertains to me. Uh, today, a reader, tomorrow, a leader. Uh, these are, you know, very basic, but insightful um, and so true uh, quips, if you will, Books are a uniquely portable magic, and I, I happen to believe that. I really do. And uh, matter of fact, yesterday I just finished reading Robert's Rules of Order. Oof, what a read. And uh, it was a tough one, reading about parliamentary law and you know, all these different things and uh, different motions. And uh, yeah, I, I wasn't inspired, to be fair um, and to be honest. Um, I'm actually about to start reading Moses and Revelation by Mike Bull um, here at the Blue Point Bible Church. We're in a season calling it. We're actually calling the season the season of fire. And uh, if you're familiar with my ministry and my personal life, you know, I, I've always speak about seasons. And I believe it's a part of our growth in Christ is to uh, mark out seasons 
in our lives. Um, again, it's, it's just something that leads to positive change and growth and blessings, something that I've actually focused on for this, uh, this season, if you will, in my life. So here the, at the Blue Point Bible Church, the season of fire, we're looking at the book of Exodus, and we've marked out the Exodus-Revelation connection. And uh, you see the type and the anti-type happening there. And uh, I'm looking forward to reading Mike Bull's commentary on the details there regarding malfunction however we are back in action so sorry about that uh prayerfully i still have all of your attention and uh just moving right along you know we were talking about books and uh i'm looking forward to having this discussion with brian gadawa um you know i, I remember the last time i read a historical fiction or a fiction book if you will uh, would have been most likely frank peretti's piercing the darkness and uh re- I, I even thought about Rick Joyner's series, um, The Sword and Truth, and I know he would not appreciate it being called fiction, but the way it was written was a vision, and it allowed you, it captivated your attention, and it allowed you to see theology in a certain perspective, and as I wrote in my review, Brian's book, Tyrant, not only did that, but even more so allowed for a really intellectually satisfying understanding of history and how it applied to details in scripture and ultimately for us to come and understand uh, the details uh, of the first century and Bible prophecy. So um, I rather appreciate it. And I'm looking forward to having this time with him. So what I would like to do is just preface our time with a moment of prayer, we'll go into a song and I'll be bringing Brian onto the podcast. So join me in a moment approaching the Lord and thanking him and praising him and petitioning him for renewed grace and abundant blessings. Mighty God, we do thank you, Lord. We thank you for the privilege to approach you in prayer, Lord. We thank you for the privilege to come on the airwaves and to have an opportunity to um, discuss biblical details that glorify you and that edify us. And um, I do indeed appreciate it and thank you for the blessing that you provided through Brian, Lord. And I thank you for him offering up his time to uh, encourage us, edify us, and uh, offer up some details regarding his books, his works, his resources, his ministry, and all that he does uh, to further edify the saints and to glorify you, Lord. So we approach you, Lord, humbly, and we just petition you, thank you for your, for your go-ahead, for you going before us, and for you following us um, in our endeavors to glorify you. So, Lord, again, we magnify your holy name. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. We're going to go into a quick worship song, and we'll be right back. Again, thank you for tuning in, and we look forward to this interview with Brian Gadawa.
so here we are again. I, I don't believe that uh, we can say that we give the Lord our heart and our lives enough that we desire to honor him in all that we do. So I believe it to be important to uh, preface our time all regards um, with a moment of praise. Thank you for taking that moment with me. And without any further ado, I would like to welcome Brother Brian to the show. Thanks, Brian, for taking some time out to join me on today's show. Thanks for having me, Michael. It's great to be here. Oh, that's great. So, uh, again, I, I know you were tuned in. You saw we probably had or you heard that we had a couple technical yeah. difficulties. Uh, just want to give you a heads up. That's all worked out. We have a great go-ahead, and uh, I'd just like to jump right into things. So, I, I know you read the review that I wrote regarding your book, and I yeah. do appreciate your book. I appreciate what it seems to be your ministry there. Um, through writing books and also through screenwriting. And uh, before I bring us into all of those details, I would like to um, just have you introduce yourself a bit and uh, share with us a little bit about your life, your family, your work, and uh, how long you've been a Christian, maybe a brief uh, explanation of your testimony and how you came to Christ. Oh, sure, sure. Well, um, I am... uh... Oh, boy, I, I became a Christian when I was uh, in high school, and that's many, many years ago now, <laughs> maybe uh, oh, closing in on 40 years ago. So that dates me, of course, uh, you know. And um, anyway, uh, but I was raised a Catholic and, and, um, and you know, it's kind of a religious family, but uh, it, there wasn't a real um, knowledge and relationship with Jesus Christ. And, and I actually um, heard the gospel through uh, a non-denominational church, which at that time was very unique. Now it isn't, of course, but uh, it was called Willow Creek Community Church, which be- ended up becoming one of the hugest churches in America. Yes. And, um, yeah, and I, that's how I met Christ. And, and um, you know, just the basic gospel just really – realizing that, you know, wondering why, why I've always been an artist. So I've always wondered, you know, I've always been obsessed with death and the meaning of life. And, uh, and my, you know, I, I kind of wanted to be this famous uh, artist like Michelangelo and have my work studied and all this stuff. But the reality of death just kept, you know, hounding me, not, not in a suicidal way, but more in a, conceptual way, you know, because I kept thinking, we're all going to die, and I'm going to die someday, so no matter what I did, what would it really matter when I'm gone? And even if I was Michelangelo, how would it help me when I'm dead and gone wherever I went, right? And and I was just sitting there thinking about that, realizing my little point of a lifetime on the, you know, if you look at eternity as a, as a line, of, you know, a chronological line, and my dot isn't even visible on that line, you know, so it's like I'm dead a whole lot longer than I'm alive. And so I've got to really deal with this reality. That sort of caused me to really think about the spiritual things and what was going on with my life. And, and it was, you know, it was just a simple gospel of realizing that the reason why I felt alienated from God was because I was, and it was my sin. And just recognizing and understanding that uh, Jesus died for my sin. And, and when I realized that and believed in that, and I entered into that relationship with him, I was forgiven of my sin. And it's a real basic sort of gospel thing, but I didn't have a real emotional uh, transformation for me. You know, some people, you know, oh, everything changes. I think it was a slow change. It's like I made a change of mind and worldview. And then over the next couple of years, I started to see my, the way I saw the world was changing. It was almost like it was something done to me rather than something I did, right? Um, right. And God changed my mind, in other words, you know. 
And, uh, and you know, then when I got to college, I, uh, I became discipled by a fellow Christian, and that was when I became more serious about my faith, and I, I launched into, into uh, apologetics and philosophy because that's what I really, really loved. And I've been interested in that stuff ever since. And that led me to theological notions. And so I kind of, kind of, my faith has been an intellectual faith that has, um, that has uh, been driven a lot by apologetics. And I think that, that, that in my more recent, within the last, you know, 15 or so, 20 years of my life, um, but that, that, that could be some people's whole life, I guess. But in the last 10, 15 years, I've really sort of had a, uh, uh, a new horizon in my faith of realizing the power of imagination and how God uses imagination to communicate truth and to defend the faith. And, and I've kind of come to like C.S. Lewis had this experience too, where you see the limits of reason and it's not that you, you're not a postmodern where you reject reason, but you just see that it's, 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 uh, uh, it's got limitations and that not only does it have limitations, but much of what we think is our rational thinking is actually the attempt of autonomous, as Cornelius Van Til would say, autonomous man trying to, uh, trying to reason his way to truth, but realizing that you're just starting from yourself as your own deity, that kind of a thing. And, and I think that even as Christians, and I, you know, even as a Christian, I had that sort of, you know, uh, sort of focus in my faith. Well, um, in college, I actually was introduced to preterism, and um, through Gary Demar and Ken Gentry, and and those are reformed guys, and they're partial preterists. I know you know your your podcast, your audience is is going to be mostly full preterists, and I'm a partial preterist, so I I'm aware of that difference. But but at the time, I was uh you know like a you know I'm basically standard Christian dispensationalist Hal Lindsey type stuff and. I even was into Hal Lindsey and thinking Jesus would come at any moment and rapture us away and all this kind of stuff. And, and, uh, but, but it always bothered me because, you know, they kept changing their views. They kept changing over the years, you know. Anyway, when I read this, uh, I was introduced to this Reformed thinking, and it was fascinating to me. And then the, those Reformed guys were also teaching this preterism that I thought was heresy at first. But, but I realized as I started reading, it's like, oh, my gosh, they're talking about stuff I didn't even realize that that I was never told that there are multiple views within the, the the you know the history of the church. I was just told the one the one view, which is the you know the left behind Hal Lindsey uh, dispensational view, that that's that's what it, that's what Bible prophecy is, right? And so when I heard this you know amillennial, uh, postmillennial preterism, I felt I felt like they had they had tricked me, you know they had they had kept that stuff from me. Um, and, and so it kind of made me angry at first. And then I dove into exploring these other viewpoints and my mind was opened. And I think that, that, that was a lot of that led to my appreciation of the imagination because preterism is a, is an approach, a hermeneutic, you know, that, that really appreciates the symbolic slash poetic slash imaginative element of God's word. And in other words, when you, when you read things like, you know, the, the sun going dark and the stars falling from the sky, you know, the typical, you know, sort of modern Christian thing is like, oh, that's going to happen because our God can do anything. And so he's going to make the stars fall from the sky and all this kind of stuff. But, but when you 
seek to understand the biblical text within its ancient context and their, what they meant to them, not what we mean to us, that's when you start to realize, oh, wow, you know, um, this is actually poetic imagery that was used uh, uh, whenever uh, spiritual slash earthly slash heavenly authorities would fall uh, in, in, a, in an earthly uh, battle or, or war or whatever, uh, God described it that way. Um, he dis- this is covenantal language that also describes, you know, the heavens and the earth imagery is a covenantal language. And it's not, ju- it's not just this literalistic sort of thing. It's very metaphorical. And, and that, my appreciation of that, I think, which began many years ago, but now it's kind of come to fruit. And, and that leads us all up to, you know, um, as a writer, I started writing, you know, Hollywood movies many years ago. And I've had a few movies made. Twendle Wars is, is my favorite that I've had made. But I started writing novels about six, seven years ago. And um, the novels have become a, an, an opportunity for me to apply this imagination, writing fiction. Uh, so I write theological novels where I take all the theology that, that I learn um, and, and embody it in fictional dramatic storytelling because I think – you know, a, a lot of Christians, like I know, you know, you mentioned this to me, you don't, you, you haven't read much fiction and, you know, it's funny, neither do I, <laughs> but, uh, okay. but, but there are a lot of Christians who have a hard time reading heavy theology. And my goal was, I wanted to, and also I think that, uh, you know, the whole end times thing is a big, you know, it's, it's, it's scary for people to get into because it's a very deep, deep hole. And, oh, yeah. and you know that when you start to look into it, right? And so, and I realize why Christians don't want to bother in many ways, just because, you know, you look over the years, and it's like, ah, you know, they've got all these beliefs and, you know, who knows, right? So why should we spend, I, there was even, I even had a time in my life where I just, I avoided revelation because I thought it's so obscure and so many different viewpoints. And, and when I read each of the viewpoints, they all have really good, you know, I think that sometimes they make some good points, you know, and, and you get confused and, and so I just thought, you know, I just want to focus on the gospel and focus on the kingdom of God and, and all that kind of stuff. And all the speculation about the end times, it's just not worth it. But right. I've, gotten, I've got to appreciate it in more recent years because, um, you know, the, the realization is that if, if you neglect one aspect of the word of God, you're neglecting a part of God. And so it's not going to be balanced for you to do so. So you owe it to God and to yourself to at least, you know, seek to try to understand uh, whether it's book of revelation or end times or whatever. And so my, I I wrote the novels um, Chronicles of the Apocalypse was my way of trying to embody a preterist viewpoint of the book of revelation in the first century in a way that Christians will be entertained and appreciate, and they don't. While it, it, while you do go into scriptural stuff in the stories, you know you don't have to be a theologian to understand and to appreciate it. And I think it, it will make sense to them in a way that sometimes theology does not. Like you know, a lot of futurist Christians will they'll hear about preterism and they'll oh that's heresy, that's heresy, you know that or or it's like what? How can you possibly say that revelation happened in the past? That's absurd. Um, but and you, you know you you know you have a lot of explanation to do to try to get them to realize it's not so crazy. It takes a long time. Well, a good story will 
do a lot of that in one sitting, you know, and you read one book and, and, and things will start to go, oh, oh, I see, I see how it all fits into that first century context, you know. That's sort of my goal with Chronicles of the Apocalypse and, and like you mentioned, the first book, which is Tyrant, Rise of the Beast, was introducing, uh, you know, preterism in, in, a, in a fresh new way, I guess is, is one way to put it. Yeah, Eamon, well, you did exactly that, I have to say. Um, you know, and I appreciate you sharing a lot of that because it explained a lot of areas where I thought you were just, you were right on the mark. You know, I was like, wow, like you were explaining things that I wish I could explain in the ways you were doing it, you know, and I was like, wow, it, you were just hitting everything. Even just how you said something that um, that I try to regularly explain, and I think you just nailed it, so I'm thinking how I'm going to clip this podcast, but uh, <laughs> something said was about the, you know, the power of imagination. You're, you're so right. Um, obviously, I read the book, so I, I was able to be captured by the story and the narrative. Um, and connecting certain points that as I study theology, I see, and I'm like, wow, that's great. You know, that was a great way of saying it. I love how one thing I have to say is I, and I told a lot of people in our church, this, the way that you, you made the characters come to life in a contemporary historic way, you know, like you had uh, the way they're talking about Nero or, or different aspects like the community or the Jews, the way they're perceiving Nero's actions. And um, I love the way that you, you know, you say that you fill in the gaps um, to uh, how to make a great picture. And I can't agree with you more. Um, the power of imagination, something that I often called uh, conceptual realities, that I, I believe that a lot of the theology, even going all, all the way back, um, you know, you go all the way back to uh, Genesis and the ancient world, and you think about the why these stories were being told, what were the, the, the points of the stories and the, you know, the literary context of them. And I just believe it to be so important. So, you know, I appreciate you saying it in that way. And uh, yeah, obviously I appreciate sharing about preterism because that is something that you know, I, I tend to navigate in a circle that just believes that to be a hallmark of the next reformation, if you will. And, uh, sure. you know, and I believe you, you pointed also the need to be balanced though. And I think that speaks to people on both ends, those that are maybe ignorant to certain theological things, but also to those of us that, Maybe we, we spend too much time in the theological, and uh, I'm actually, that's something I want to get to later in the show, um, how we can get over some of those hurdles and become a people that are well-balanced in our mission as well as our theology. And I believe you've been, yeah. in the book, you made some interesting points that I wanted to talk to you about um, as we progress through the show, if, um, if you don't mind. Where I wanted to bring us to, though, was you had mentioned being an artist, and I find it interesting that so you mentioned screenwriting or you know writing scripts have, was what started your career in writing, and then you moved into mm -hmm. writing books, correct? Yes. Okay, so uh, you did mention, and forgive me, uh, how long have you been writing books? Oh, uh, just about last six, seven years. I can tell okay. you the story of that because it's kind of interesting. Please. Yeah, please. Yeah, so so basically, you know, as a screenwriter, that's my heart and that's been my passion and my my vision for serving God um, uh, for many years. And uh, but you know, making movies is a hard life. It, it's you know, it, it's uh, it's a 
hard competition and you sometimes have bad years. And, you know, everybody in the business of Hollywood has bad years. Even A-listers can have bad years where they make some flops and then they don't get movies for a year or two, you know, mm-hmm. stuff like that happens. Well, that happened to me. And I, I had always thought, you know what, um, I want to keep writing movies. And, you know, I wasn't always a big, not, I was I, I never had a passion to write novels. But I thought one day when I won't be, you know, I'm too old and, you know, they won't take any of my screenplays anymore, then I'll write novels, you know, or that's what I was thinking. But then I had a couple of bad years and, uh, it, you know, in terms of the business, and I had to reinvent myself. And so that's when I started realizing, well, maybe I should start writing books now, you know. And uh, what happened was um, I had been writing a script of the uh, – of, of, of Noah, and it was called Noah Primeval, and I thought this was so cool because now, and I know you and I have different views on this as well, the Nephilim and all that, but but I I was coming to the conviction that this bizarre stuff in the Bible that I tended to avoid, I sort of took it head on, and I started to discover a possibility of a different way of seeing that that was kind of really cool to me, but it was also connected to a storyline that I'm pretty sure you and I would agree on, which is what I call the War of the Sea, that is uh, in the Bible, there's certainly a storyline of the, the war of the, uh, the seed of the woman versus the seed of Satan, right? And, mm-hmm. and, and, you know, this attempt to stop Messiah throughout the Old Testament and, and all that. So this is a storyline I thought was so fascinating. I hadn't – a way of putting it is um, the uh, – I think the – is it – yeah. Yeah, it's the, I think the Eastern Church calls it Christus Victor. You know, it's this notion of Christ's victory over the powers and – so this is such an exciting storyline that I thought, i gotta, I got to tell this story, which is like retelling Bible stories through this sort of paradigm. And, and um, it was kind of frightening at first because, you know, I didn't want people to think I'm playing with the Word of God. You know, you're, you're retelling Bible stories. That's on, working on holy ground, right? But this whole notion of imagination, I, I just felt this freeing in my soul that the best way I put it is I was freed from the evangelical shackles on my imagination. And, you know, Francis Schaeffer talked about this. We said it's the Christian who should really feel the freest to, to soar with their imagination to the skies, you know, and, um, and C.S. Lewis ha- had this experience as well. And it's this idea where it's like, you know, um, so many of our uh, expectations that we think are, are, Christian holiness is oftentimes just cultural prejudice or cultural bias based on, you know, the world that we're in. And and the more we become aware of that, the more we're able to free ourselves from some of those shackles. And one of those shackles was this notion of don't play, don't retell Bible stories because you're, you're fictionalizing the word of God, you know? And uh, uh, so anyway, I did that. And, 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 um, but the first story was this Noah story, and I was doing it as a, as a movie because I thought no one has ever done this. We got giants and Nephilim and Sons of God and Watchers and all this cool stuff, you know. And, uh, and, and I thought surely, surely the, the, you know, godless secular Hollywood is not very nice towards Christianity, as we know, or the Bible, right? But sometimes if you find something really fantastical – They'll be, they'll be open to it, you know, and there are some good movies that have been made that, that aren't anti-Christian, and so I thought maybe that would be cool. Well, this, this was like seven, seven, eight years ago, and I discovered Darren Aronofsky was, was working on a Noah movie, and he's a big director, and so I thought, well, okay, 
I'm never going to have the chance to get this made. He's, he's going to make his movie. And, but I'd already written mine. So I thought, well, maybe I could beat him to the punch by getting a novel out. And then at least people hmm. will say, oh, I, I didn't copy him. And, you know, when his movie came out, it was an abysmal failure. It was a terrible movie. And it, was, it really wasn't at all like, like what I was doing. So I was happy hmm. with that. But that was the thing that launched me writing the novels. Noah Primeval was my first book. And then that ultimately became the first book of a series of eight books uh, called Chronicles of the Nephilim. And interestingly enough, so I retell stories where uh, Nephilim show up in, in the Bible. They're not very, you know, a lot of Christians don't notice it because you kind of read over stuff. But, but I, um, you know, I wanted to retell those stories. So I have Joshua, Caleb, I have Abraham, I have David, you know. Of course, everyone knows Goliath, but what they don't know is there's passages in the Bible that talk about um, uh, five other giants who were actually hunting David in the battles. And um, so I tell those stories. But it ends with Jesus triumphant. And so I retell the story of Jesus, and I, I, I bring in some of these notions of, of the watchers and stuff. But what I realized at that point was, I'm a, as a partial preterist, I'm, I'm you know, talking about Jesus, and he's, he's, you know, he's telling the parables. And, and I now understand a lot of those parables about the end of the age, the, not a lot, but the parables about the end of the age, I think, are basically about the judgment on Jerusalem in AD 70, not... And, and not the end of the world judgment. And so I was, I was incorporating some of those, that teaching into my Jesus triumphant. Because, and then that's when I realized, oh, my gosh, I'm not done with the series uh, because I have to have that judgment, especially since I believe that's when everything was sort of wrapped up in that, that covenantal notion of the watchers and stuff, I believe was, was ended and wrapped up along with the old covenant at AD 70. So I realized, Oh, I have to finish this series with a new series, and that's where that's where Chronicles of the Apocalypse was was born, and um, and that's what co- sort of led to it. I wasn't actually originally going to do that, and then I, that's when I realized, oh my gosh, I studied this preterism for like ten, fifteen years. I can finally put it to use in something that I can give to the world, and that that I can you know give to the Christian world to to learn something in a way you know like you have podcasts and and you know you you as a as a a pastor and a um, you know, writer, you, you know, you, you have that way of, of pro- helping those around you. Well, I'm not, I'm a, I'm an artist and I'm a writer. And, but so that's the way that I discovered, okay, I can tell my stories and I can embody my theology in the stories. And it's exciting because that's something that hasn't, you know, that, that I've studied all this stuff, all this intellectual theological stuff for years. And I often wondered, I love it. I just love it but I realized how hard it was to give to others because <laughs> a lot of other people don't care as much about theological things. You know, a lot of Christians don't want to think very deep. Right. And, uh, but this become, this has become my way now to be able to link those two worlds together, the worlds of imagination and uh, reason or theology or the intellect, whatever you want to, you know, call that other side of things. Amen. You know, I, I agree with you. I, I think uh, as I read your book, I knew that that was a book that was going to capture my attention, and I was just going to read it all day. And as I'm sitting here listening to you talk, I'm saying, oh, wow, this is a conversation that, that can continue for days. You know, cause there's so much that you're saying that's rich. And you're so, you, again, your words are powerful, you know, and I appreciate that. Um, it was evident when I read your book. So uh, I'm just even more encouraged as I'm sitting here talking with you. 
So how many books in all do you have? Uh, well, you know, I've got about 21 books on Amazon if you want to go, you know, if, if you want to be technical. Um, but there's eight Chronicles of the Nephilim. There's going okay. to be four Chronicles of the Apocalypse. And then I have, you know, and here's the thing is, is, is I, I know that Christians often want a lot of things explained. And I knew that when people read my stuff, both the Chronicles of Nephilim and Chronicles of Apocalypse are wild, you know. I push the envelope with imagination and theology, and, and I, say, I, I knew Christians are going to go, where did he get that, right? So I've, I've written a few books along the way that are companion pieces. So, for instance, I, I wrote, in each of my Nephilim books, I wrote appendixes of the, based on the scholarly research that I did, and then I put all those appendixes into one book called When, God, uh, when Giants Were Upon the Earth, so that Christians can, can, can go, oh, they can look into where I sort of did all the research, and, the, and then the same thing, I think I mentioned this already, with Chronicles of the Apocalypse, because I knew that it's going to be so wild to some Christians, and they're going to go, come on, is he making this up, right? And I've done a lot of historical uh, research on it. And even though there is fiction, and uh, one of the aspects of Chronicles of the Apocalypse is, uh, like the book of Revelation, I try to pull back the curtain a little bit and show the spiritual realm, what I, you know, I, I don't know what that really looks like. You know, we only have hints of it, but, um, but I, so I, I, I have like a human story going on and then I have the angelic warfare, spiritual warfare story going on. And while it's not quite like, it's not so much like um, Frank Peretti, you know, where there's a demon behind every bush and there's a demon for, for, for uh, lust and a demon, you know, I don't, I never really held to that view. I see it more as a big picture, you know, the watchers looking over things and they do influence things. But my point is, is that I, you know, I bring that spiritual side into it that some Christians will really enjoy. But I knew that, that it's such a, it's such a, um, well, you know, you know that preterism is as much as it's a growing view. Uh, the dominant voice is the futuristic premillennial and dispensational views. And so it's still not, well known, so I felt like I I felt like I needed to provide help for those Christians who would who 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 this would be new to, and or it would be shocking to. So I footnoted every all, all my apocalypse novels, and half of the text is footnotes. So in, in other words, I'm not just citing books; I'm actually cutting chunks of scholarly arguments to explain where some of the stuff is that I get, get it from, as well as the historical. You know, I, I've drawn heavily from Josephus's Wars of the Jews, which I'm sure your audience is very familiar with, and that's the, the one complete historical source of that event of AD 70, or well, 66 to 70, uh, that occurred with the revolt of the Jews against Rome. I draw from it extensively. In fact, Josephus is a character in my series. And um, so because of that, I footnote that so you can go and look at the pieces where I drew from. Because I do fictionalize. You know, I mean, I have some fictionalized characters. My heroes um, in the story are fictional characters who are, who are going through and interacting with the historical characters. So I have Nero. I have Josephus. I have, you know, all the true historical characters of that period. I even have the Apostle Paul and Peter, right? But then I also have some fictional characters where I can tell my story and sort of interact with the history, right? And um, so I footnoted that because a, a lot of Christians like they want things explained, and uh, so I do that. And then I also write some books, like I wrote a companion book 
to the Apocalypse series called End Times Bible Prophecy. And that is sort of an explanation for some of these things we've talked about, like, you know, the poetic nature of the Old Testament prophecy, the poetic nature of the New Testament prophecy. But then I also kind of walk through Matthew 24 to show, um, you know, how each of those statements of Jesus was fulfilled all the way up to and including coming on the clouds in AD 70. And, and I did that for Christians who wanted to look more into the theology. Um, so, yeah, so I kind of am a, a both-and kind of guy, right? So I, I want to provide both of those things. And, uh, yeah, so I ended up having, like, 21 books. You know, there's about half of them are theology, half of them are fiction. Theology slash art, you know, because there's a couple of books I've written called um, – the Imagination of God is one of them, and the other one is God Against the Gods. And these are books that I, tr- that I go into in depth about this understanding of how is it that God uses imagination in the Bible to both reveal himself and to defend the faith. And I try to, I try to help Christians break out of this sort of intellectualized faith where, again, it's not wrong, it's just imbalanced, where to, and to try to, to get them to understand that Believe it or not, God actually uses imagination more than reason or more than propositional truth, shall we put it, in the Bible. Again, he uses both, but that's my argument. And to try to get Christians to realize that so that we can, we can incorporate – it's a difficult thing, incorporating imagination into your faith. What does that mean and what does that look like? And I try to, I try to explain how, how the Bible does it. And then we can maybe draw from that. You know, look, this is all abstract. Let me get, let me give you a couple examples. So, um, you know, one of my fa- personal favorite uh, things is, and, and, and this is a creature that I have in my Chronicles of the Nephilim and Chronicles of the Apocalypse, Leviathan, right? You know, every, any Christian who's read the Bible knows about Leviathan, and there's different theories. Is that a dinosaur? Well, I've done a study on it, and I've even written a scholarly paper on it. I'm convinced that Leviathan is a, um, is a sea dragon of chaos, and it's a metaphor that, that is used by the Bible writers. It's not a literal creature, and they use it to describe the notion of chaos. It embodies chaos, and it's very common because all the ancient Mesopotamian religions use the same image to refer to chaos, a sea dragon. And, but in the Bible, Leviathan becomes the creature that God crushed, like in Psalm 74, it talks about how God, when he separated the Red Sea and established his covenant with Moses, he crushed the heads of Leviathan. And that's basically that saying, it's not just saying, oh, our God is stronger than the sea monsters. What he's saying is God pushes back the chaos to create his covenant order. And so this dragon of chaos also comes into the book of revelation later right and and where you know satan is connected to that that sea dragon of chaos as the enemy of god and and his order and all this kind of stuff so that's something that i try to explain and so when we read the text in the bible we can we can uh get the richness of the imagery it's not just this shallow sort of like oh yeah god's more powerful than the sea monsters no it's way deeper than that and we, we, as we understand that, when we read it, it becomes much richer to us, and we enter into a deeper connection with God through this imagination that God himself actually uses. Amen. I'm actually sitting here writing notes because I know I want to get my hands on uh, that book that you mentioned, The Imagination of God. That, it, that would be something that I would love to further 
you know, go through your resources. And as I'm sitting here talking with you, I'm saying, wow, you know, you're, you're connecting so many things that uh, I'm taking quite a few notes. I did want to mention, um, in talking about spiritual warfare, um, I'm imagining you're familiar with Mike Heiser and the Unseen Realm, and that would be something that you probably come into agreement with, correct? Yeah, in fact, Michael Heiser's uh, book, The Unseen Realm, was the book that totally launched my Chronicles of the Nephilim series. Uh, wow. He actually was writing, he'd, he'd been writing the book for years, but he was just sort of dawdling, and he had it for free on the internet, right? Because he was just a no-name no theologian, you know, not even the, like a young scholar, right? And he just didn't have the idea that, not many people cared about this stuff anyway, right? Well, I found that thing on the internet, and and it blew my mind and my theology and my life, and and yeah, so I was heavily influenced by him, such that that's the paradigm that I'm operating under, and um, one of the paradigms, right? Obviously, uh, in fact, I think one of my my jokes is I've 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 achieved the I've achieved not the impossible, but, I, but I've definitely achieved a kind of a contradiction because I've combined. Ken Gentry's partial preterism with Michael Heiser's divine counsel paradigm in my series Chronicles of the Apocalypse, and uh, uh, so and both of those sides don't don't necessarily agree with each other. So I um, I actually sent uh, Michael Heiser's book to Ken Gentry because he's a friend of mine, and I'm gonna when Ken Gentry's commentary on Revelation comes out, I'm gonna send that to Michael Heiser. Uh, you know, just because, you know they're scholars, you know they don't agree, but. Uh, I thought it might be interesting because both of them influenced my life in, in a dramatic way. And so, yeah, that has definitely influenced my, my paradigm of the spiritual world. But in truth, I still, I have to say that uh, what does that spiritual world really, really look like? It's very, it's speculative. And so as a, as an author, I have to, I have to commit, like if I were writing a theological book, I could I could be really ambiguous and stay loose and say, you know, we're not sure in this or that, but the, you know, uh, you could do that because that's how you know that's how nonfiction writing goes. But in fiction, you have to tell the story, so you have to commit to something. And what you know, what does what does an angel really look like, or whatever you know, these kinds of things. And so I, I have to I, I come up with speculative imagination, and my goal is is to I tell people. Look, I'm writing theological novels, so you don't have to necessarily believe this is exactly how it looks because I, I don't. I don't. I don't know what it looks like. I'm just doing something in order to try to communicate the theological truth, right? And so you can at least um, draw the theological truth from there even if you don't agree with the way I depict it. And that's also why I, you know, my appeal to – it was why I'm on your show, right? I mean, I contacted you, and I – and we were talking about this, and I said, "Look, I, I know you're full preterist, and I'm partial, and you know, I'm 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 happy to discuss where we might have some differences of opinion." But I said, "I'm not out to debate. My goal is is actually to um, to try to make a connection because uh, I've learned a lot from full preterists, and uh, I think there's some good stuff such that it's incorporated into my novels. And my goal is is is, but hey." Uh, there's enough overlap that I think full predators will love this. And, and, you know, they'll say, okay, he hasn't gone all the way, but he's come most of the way. Right. And, 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 and even for futurists, you know, I've got fans of mine who read these novels and they say, well, look, I don't agree with Skadawa's eschatology, but it's great storytelling. And that's my goal is to try to open minds or to try to cross, uh, cross 
theologies, make connections where, okay, we don't all, all agree, but there are some points of agreement, and, and maybe, hopefully, you can still appreciate a great story, and, and uh, you know, even if you don't agree with everything of it, whether you're futurist or partial or full preterist, you know, that's my goal. Oh, amen. Amen. No, it does. It does. I, um, there's a couple things you said that I want to just refer back to. Uh, first off, I'm not sure if you knew this, but much to my surprise and encouragement, uh, Michael Heiser spoke at a full preterist conference this past April. Yes. Yes. Was that the Berean church? The, uh, yes. Bible Berean church? Bible church. Yes. 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 I love those guys because I know this is, this is really amazing when I found them. You know, like, like I said, I know you're, you're not of that viewpoint, but when I found these guys, they're full preterists who actually uh, have the, the, the divine counsel paradigm. So I, I, you know, I contacted David, and I've listened to a lot of his sermons. I really appreciate his work, and, and I appreciate that. And so, uh, yeah, I've, I've actually been listening to their, their teaching because we have that, again, you know, whereas maybe I might not be as likely to, to you know, uh, you know how it is like if, if there's something you agree with someone, you're more willing to listen to what they have to say about where you don't agree, right? Sure. And sure. so uh, because I have that Heiser viewpoint, you know, let's be honest, I might not be as likely to read your, your material on full preterism, but because the Berean guys do, I, I, I'm like, I connect with them, and it makes me really curious, wow, how do they answer some of these issues that I have a commonality with, with my partial preterism? And so that's where I'm, I'm you know, I'm in the uh, – look, I'm not a theologian, and I'm not a, a polemicist. So I'm I'm open and I'm listening to full preterist arguments and I'm I'm in the I'm in the court. This is another reason why I said you know I'm it's not like I'm going to be debating the issue because right now I'm actually listening to full preterist arguments and and I'm I'm curious and I'm willing to listen and so uh, the Berean Bible Church guys are the ones that I've really appreciated because I have that connection with with the, the oh, you know, that's divine council. Yeah, that's encouraging. Well, uh, you know what. Uh, I have a couple of things I wanted to say to that. First off, Dave Curtis's resources. Uh, when I first heard of preterism, you would imagine I, I like most preterists, um, not was not very receptive to the understanding. You know, I sat there. I thought the S. Allen Bondar was somebody I had heard it from, and I thought he was nuts. I couldn't believe somebody sat there in front of me and told me that. You know, I was like, what? You know, so many questions, no clarity. You're, I'm talking about millions of questions popped up in my mind, you know, uh, what is this guy talking about? So I totally understand, you know, people's frustration with the preterism and uh, things in that regard. Um, but Dave Chris's resources were, when I went on the internet, you know, I began to look up things about preterism. I saw the, the fighting, the infight, which is something I wanted to make mention of. Because preterism, preterism is not a monolithic, you know, understanding. Unfortunately, so many different variant, you know, views within the preterist community that it makes it, it makes it hard for it to progress healthily, you know, uh, and yeah. that's one of the things, you know, much to, you know, maybe you could help me with this word. I have a word that I've always wanted to use, and I'm sitting here and I'm saying I want to use it, but I don't know how to say it. So you'd be the guy to help me out with it. What, how would I say it? Much to the chagrin. What's that word I'm looking oh, for there? Much, much to the sh- chagrin. 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 Right, you see what I'm seeing yeah, there, much, where much, much to the chagrin yeah, of the, the chagrin. community. <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay, cool. Good deal. I appreciate I figured you'd be a guy to ask. So uh 
you know? um, but again, that that seems to be the problem with the preterist movement. You know, to make that a quote there, uh, it seems that yeah. all these differences and a lot of the infight creates more confusion than clarity for people. So that's why I can definitely say, reading through your book, and despite you know differences with uh, spiritual warfare and things, which I appreciate your humility in that regard. You know, I, I think that um, we all need to approach it more in a, a humble manner. I've told our church here that even though I've written a book and I, I try to be rather dogmatic about certain things, there's sure. a whole more there's a host more confusion than there is clarity in that area, which I believe is to the glory of God. I, I don't believe that's a you know an area that I need to be so emphatic and under, that I have this understanding of it and uh, yeah. just navigate honestly. And, you know, we have questions that are, you know, people bring up, what about ghosts? What about this? And I'm like, listen, <laughs> you know, listen, we're not going to do this. Um, I'm not going to be the person <laughs> to deny people's experiences. That's one of the things I'm very touchy about. I, I don't want to yeah. deny people's experiences. Um, so I will be very careful in that regard. Um, so I can appreciate, you know, your humility in the area. I know with Dave Curtis, I remember when I went to the conference, he's the person that I first introduced me to the understanding of the Heavenly Council, I remember sitting at one of the conferences, and I'm listening, and I heard him say something about, you know, Baal and, and idols, and I, I stood up, and he saw the confusion. He was literally looking right at me, and he saw the confusion on my face, and then at the end, I got up, and he even made a joke. He's like, you can ask questions, you know, and I, I just said, uh, <laughs> you know, I just, I had a problem with, I said, so you're saying the idol is real, you know, and that that's created some confusion right. with with the, the heavenly council stuff. You know, I always argue First Corinthians sure. eight, and I'm like, he said the idol doesn't exist. So, um, yeah. you know, that's an area I've been lightening up. You know, I definitely want to give Michael Heiser's The Unseen Realm a reread, and uh, even your, the way that you depicted it in your book, it, it encouraged me to want to go back and you know and say, hey, maybe that does explain some things. You know, maybe it does. Uh, give some clarity in an area where, you know, again, I, I'll willingly admit there's, I, I don't have much clarity. So I can appreciate, well, look, you know, yeah. And I mean, uh, you know, I, I, I've read a little bit of your stuff and, you know, I read some of your stuff on Satan and, you know, I actually agree largely with a lot of what you've said on Satan. You know, I mean, like I, you know, one of my things is, as I studied the, the book and one book that was really helpful for me was uh, deconstructing Lucifer uh, written by a, 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 another, just a, you know, basically a Christian researcher guy. But, but um, I like, like for instance, I agree with you that Isaiah 14 and Ezekiel 28 are not Satan myths. You know, I agree with you that actually the word Satan means adversary, and it's the Satan, the adversary, not it's not the name. Satan is not a proper name. You know, and 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 therefore that that changes the picture a lot. And then a lot of the Old Testament cases where that word satan is used sometimes it's once it's used of god well you know uh and and so you know whereas i still believe that i believe that there's still a so what i i understand satan as is is that it's an office it's a title of the adversary and it's part of god's divine counsel um but that but my point is is a lot of what most christians assume you know the mythology of satan's fall and all that I, I no longer believe because like you, you know, I read the Old Testament and if you face a lot of these passages, it's just not there, you know. And um, so, yeah, yeah uh, now, I, you know, as I, 
you know, as I get into the New Testament, I think that this seems to be a more personalization of, of Satan than there is in the Old Testament, and that that I'll admit um, that that that's where I'm getting more of it, more of my idea of it. Uh, but but that my point is is just that you and I even have a, an overlap of agreement in that area where a lot of what Christians, I think what it is is when you start to study these issues in you know in depth, you realize there's so much of what evangelical Christianity assumes. The, the narratives and the myths that are just just aren't so, you know, and one of those is definitely the Satan thing. You know, the whole Lucifer, you know, Lucifer, that word is actually the name of the star Venus, the morning star, and that's in Latin. It's not a proper name for a character or, or a being at all. In fact, Jesus is called the morning star, so you can't hmm. possibly say that's Satan, you know, and and so so what does that mean? The question then is, of course, I would argue that it has more to do with, um, you know, the heavenly host. And, and um, I do think it has reference to divine beings, but not necessarily, but not like a specific individual named Lucifer is the point, right? And, right? and so many Christians just are still using that term Lucifer as if it refers to the Satan or the adversary. In fact, I, I've right. noticed myself in, in recent years just you just not using the word Satan as much because I know that it's, it actually, it's not a name. It's, it's the adversary. And so I'd rather use that term, the adversary than, than Satan. Right. Yeah, that is a good point. I, I, I probably use the enemy uh, more. So I'm speaking about, you know, yeah. spiritual warfare yeah. or our battle in Christ, you know, the enemy that comes against you or that works against you. Exactly. exactly. Right. But hmm. look, again, I, you know, in my novels, you know, uh, I'm trying to make connection with people too, and, and so I, you know, I, I actually call him the Satan, and I use the lowercase. And this is what I, you know, I, I actually first learned this from N.T. Wright myself. So, but, but nonetheless, in the series, I do will sometimes throw the word Satan in there, but I do usually use it as the Satan, and I use it with a lowercase, right? Um, but I realize that then sometimes if Christians don't understand that, it might be confusing to them. So you, I'll have occasionally have the name Satan in there as well, you know, but it's very rare. It's very rare. And I mostly focus on, uh, you know, calling him other names, actually, because there are, you know, there are other names that are, are used in, in Jewish legends and stuff. And that's another thing that I, I draw from. I do draw from pseudepigrapha, uh, Jewish legends and stuff like that, which this is something that some Christians would find dangerous and, you know, they don't like and, and I think my main purpose is, is um, not because I believe they're necessarily true, but um, I, I, I'm not a very creative person. <laughs> I don't, I don't want to make up stuff. I like drawing from legends and sort of recrafting them uh, if, for the fictional elements. Now, I try to write fiction that is consistent with the Bible, but if I go off and I'm telling something fictional, uh, I, I, I want to draw it from the, you know, from the Second Temple Judaism because uh, – and, and first century Christianity, of course. But what I'm saying is um, I like to draw my creativity from the original sources, if that makes sense. And, and um, so, yeah, so I sometimes draw from the legends. And, and, you know, I don't necessarily believe they're all true, but, but they do make for good fiction to support what I think is the truthful parts of the story. And that's, that's the messiness of fiction and imagination that I think scares a lot of Christians because – you know, we do have this holy respect for the word of God, and I have that too. 
but I think sometimes it becomes misplaced or exaggerated to the point where um, we're almost treating it like it's an idol itself, you know. And, uh, you know, I I think the Catholics make this point, you know, they call it, you know, bibliolatry or whatever like that. I think sometimes they might have a good argument against Mm -hmm. the Protestants. And sometimes we do make the Bible into an idol, you know what I mean? And uh, in 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 that it's the message of the word of God that is what's important, not the magical. The words aren't magical. They're not little magical things that that have like glowing holiness to them. You know what I mean? (laughs) And that's, I think, how sometimes how Christians start to to treat the word. So it makes them afraid of using fiction, I guess, is the point. And and but I've been encouraged that I think a lot more Christians are now aware of the power of fiction and, and using it for good things. And, and I'm, I've been encouraged. Right, right. You know, you said so much that resonated with me because my understanding of God's word has grown into an appreciation for the fact that the, the point of it is to get me to think about God, to get, to provoke me to worship God and to do good works to my neighbor. And I believe you know, that's the point of the biblical narrative is to, you know, yeah. and I always use my favorite Bible text, First Timothy 1, five. right? The goal of instruction is this, love from a pure heart, a good conscience, and a sincere faith. So when I approach any biblical thing, I approach you know, Genesis, I approach eschatology, I ask myself, how is this helping me with the goal of my instruction? You know, what is this pushing me toward? And I believe that's what the, the whole goal of the scriptures were to be. And, you know, I share an appreciation. Actually, in my life lately, what I've begun doing is reading the uh, Parshats, the Jewish Parshats, and uh, two specific uh, commentaries that I've been reading is Rabbi Golden and Rabbi, uh, it's the other, of course, now it's in my mind, um, very popular rabbi, um, just started reading both of their Parshats as our church is studying Genesis and Exodus. And I know some people would become frustrated the people do become frustrated with that, you know, that I, they say, why would he quote from a rabbi? And, and my, my yeah. thing is, is these are people that are focused in on Torah. They're focused in studying it. Now, well, I don't agree with everything. And I don't agree a lot right. of times with, you know, the certain persuasions of what their theology leads to. However, what I do agree with is the essence of the story. You know, you look at the Exodus narrative, and if you cannot gain some healthy application as to, how that applies to your life and the things that you should know about God, that he is the Lord, there is none beside him. You, you know, if I wasn't reading the rabbi's literature, I don't believe my thoughts would have been in that regard, you know, went in that direction. You. So yeah. for me, I think what you're doing is you're, you're continuing that beautiful uh, you know, opportunity that we have to use scripture to provoke imagination and to leave the saints in what their instruction is. Again, asserting First Timothy 1.5. Love, conscience, and a sense of faith. Yeah. Yeah. Amen. So, Amen. you know, thank you. And I, I mean that, you know, I mean that honestly when I'm saying what you're saying is resonating with me in ways beyond making a night podcast, you know, it's, uh, it's really <laughs> encouraging that, uh, you know, you're saying things that are just really thought provoking and encouraging me in my study. So, uh, thank you again. Um, you know, I did want to bring us to a point of, uh, I wanted to highlight some of the disagreement there, and I, we talked a little bit about preterism, and I did want to ask, you know, what, what are some of the things that keep you in the quote-unquote partial preterist box? What would be some of the things that you maybe don't understand about full preterism? Sure. Um, 
Well, like I said, I, I am in the midst of, and this is going to be a few years, <laughs> but I am in the midst of exploring. Uh, I don't actually know all the things that full preterists are saying. So I'm in the process of trying to find that, you know, I've read Don Preston and Kurt Simmons and, you know, like I said, a couple of your stuff and, and, uh, and Berean Bible. So I'm, so I'm, I consider myself exploring. Um, but in terms of, you know, I, I've been heavily influenced. I've already mentioned this, you know, Ken Gentry and, and Gary DeMar, basically the reformed partial preterist, R.C. Sproul, that, that whole viewpoint and, and post-millennial. So I'm a post-millennialist. So, you know, um, but I, you know, the thing is, is I see, I see a lot of similarities in terms of, you know, the, the, the language. And so, so I think the differences that I'm seeing here is that while there's an agreement that there is metaphorical language in things like the new heavens and the new earth, the resurrection, you know, and like, for instance, I, you know, I'm starting to now to explore the whole resurrection thing and what are the different views. And I, you know, I've, I've learned that, you know, there's the corporate view, which is that, is that your view, the corporate uh, resurrection? Yeah. I went to the corporate oh, okay. body view corporate body view yeah right right but i don't i don't know enough about it to really like address it so i'm just now learning about it as well as you know the individual uh uh you know basically you die and go to heaven that's the that's your resurrection and all that so um so uh but that this is a very 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 big so so i I recognize and i think a lot of partial predators in fact this is the thing that's kind of shocking me is you know as i read some of the partial predator stuff i'm expecting them to, I'm not. I'm not expecting them to have as much agreement as I'm finding. Like, I've been shocked to discover. I mean, I, I, I didn't know this, but you know, there are a lot of partial preterists who actually will agree that Daniel 12, you know, one through three, is is eighty seventy. You know, right? And it's like, <laughs> right. oh, I didn't realize that. So I'm. I've been discovering. Been surprised at how much agreement is. So my point being there that that. Um, there's certainly a lot of agreement on the whatever you'd call maybe the poetic, the metaphorical things like resurrection. Of course, we agree. Ezekiel 37 is clearly a metaphor for the restoration into the land, back into the land, and all that. Um, and and Daniel 12 might also have to do with uh, a metaphorical resurrection as well. Um, and the same thing with. AD 70 was a kind of judgment, you know, and uh, I, I'm even just surprised to see that there are partial preterists, like, uh, you know, um, I, I don't know if I'm going to name them now because I can't always, like you said, there's a lot of diff- different people have different views, so I don't want to get it wrong, but there are partial preterists who would argue uh, that parables like the sheep and the goats uh, might actually be about AD 72, which is, you know, and, and that's an example of where I kind of always assumed that was an end of the world judgment. And so I thought, but now I could, I actually, I, I'm kind of on the fence about that, but I, I'm in my book series. I, I go ahead and put in the sheep and the ghost parable as an example of the 80, 70 judgment. It makes sense to me. Right. And, and I'm, I'm not afraid to admit that, uh, that a lot of those parables that I once thought were about the end of the world, they're actually about AD 70. Uh, but you know, at, at the end of the day, I think that that, that nevertheless, what the partial what the partial preterists in my camp have been arguing that I still tend to be in is, but there are still indications that in different texts 
that you know there's still going to be a, a you know final resurrection and a final judgment and, and a second coming of Christ, and and um, going full preterist arguments about that. I'm I'm acknowledging well they make there's a lot of good there's a lot of good points about the you know the whatever the metaphorical or the poetic fulfillment of those things. So the question just becomes, but is there still something further beyond that? And and that's kind of where I'm seeing the big difference. But I guess what I'm saying is. There's been a lot of passages that, as a partial preterist, I've, I've conceded and said, okay, I, I can accept what the full preterists are saying here on that one. And, and other partial preterists have as well, right? And so, uh, you know, so the only question is, will you be able to get me to persuade me on all of the verses that were only AD 70? Well, that remains to be seen because I'm still exploring it. But, but um, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. So, uh, all right. I appreciate yeah. your humility and honesty there. No, hey, that's that's great. I appreciate that. And I believe a lot of people are there. You know, and I believe that's a great place to be is to be open and honest with the study of Scripture. Um, obviously, one of the things about what now we're talking eight years ago when I began to look at full preterism, you know, the big problem for preterists had was convincing people that eschatology was something that needed to be re-looked at. And I know Gary DeMar, and even yeah. not even preterist, you, you talk to Gary DeMar and you talk to Kenneth Gentry. Um, you know, again, these yeah. are men that, in my estimation, have paved the way for a healthy understanding yeah. of end times. You know, w- despite disagreement, um, they've, Gary DeMar, and he's somebody that I regularly have read his resources, have been encouraged by his stuff. Um, you know, even, even to my surprise, sometimes he becomes so close. I always joke, I say Gary DeMar is the most full partial preterist I've ever I've ever read. He, he believes Romans chapter eight. You know, he's literally said that Romans chapter eight, the manifestation of the sons of God, that is a past reality. And I was like, wow, that's you know that, that encouraged me in my study. Yeah. So um, I try to read to find agreement. You know, I, I I think that that's a healthy way forward is to yeah. read resources and to yes, mark out the area of disagreement. Of course, it's fine for further study, and that's what I'm hoping uh, you and I will do. I'm hoping that. Maybe we can keep in touch and, you know, maybe we can dig into some of these things a bit more. Because, again, obviously today we talked about some overview stuff. But I'd love if, if you're willing, of course, to uh, keep in touch and go through some of these things in the bit more hairy uh, side, you know, where it gets a bit more tricky. <laughs> yeah, sure. And, you know, I'm, I'm also, uh, yeah, I'm definitely, um, absolutely. But I, I definitely have a, a schedule that I'm already operating on in terms of my, you know how like you're drawn by your interests. And yes, yes. so I'll, I'll, but I'll gladly like, you know, for instance, if people want to send me resources or give me suggest resources, I definitely put them on my list. Can't promise I get to them right away. It's mostly what am I, what am I drawn to right now? Right now I'm focusing on resurrection. So that's the thing I'm kind of like really curious about. Okay. And that's what I'm looking into. And, and um, and reading in, in both sides, of course, you know, because I've, I've I'm reading the, the partial preterist arguments as, as well as as the full, but a lot of it's a lot of it's focused on connected to the novel I'm writing, and so what you know sometimes I have to focus on the like you mentioned this earlier about reading books, and I too want to I want to commit to reading more, but the problem is I already do read a lot, but it's always focused on the stuff that I have to be working on my my, my what I'm writing on right. And, of course, that's not bad because I learn a lot, right? I've read Josephus' Words of the Jews so intimately now, and I've always wanted to, right? So it's not like I don't – it's not like it's, it's stuff that I don't want to read. It's actually stuff I want to read. But 
there still is this personal reading side where it's like, yeah, but I want to get books that might not, or, you know, I want to deal with, read things like, you know, novels or, or, uh, you know, even things that are in the secular world that are, are influential. I just want to, I want to, I want to get a wider spread on my, my reading. But the problem is, is I have so little time as, you know, as, as everybody does. Right. And uh, so I'm, I'm thinking about, I was, I've been thinking myself, but you, you have that thing about you want to read a book every two weeks and, and then write a review on that. So that's pretty, that's a pretty good challenge. I, I, I need a deadline on myself too. Like what can I commit to that? I can make sure that I'm reading outside of just, just my, my novels, you know, just my, my, my work, you know, and I, I haven't come to a, I haven't figured it, figured it out yet, but I'm, I'm working on that. <laughs> hey, you know, I have to say yet again, you said something that totally resonated and validated uh, my thinking because that's, that's a, a trouble I have as well. Um, to be honest, my reading is going to be in line with my, either my preaching or things I need to throw in yeah. in ministry. There's no way to kind of get at that box every once in a while. Um, might encourage you to do it. I try to do it every six months. I do, you know, I take something and I say, I, I know I normally would not, maybe a recommendation or something somebody wanted me to read. Uh, sometimes I'll defer over to leadership books um, and I'll, I'll read that to kind of get out of my normal rut of reading either theology or something that's connecting with the sermon. I totally get it, trust me. Um, and I, I have to remind people with the podcasts that a lot of times um, that was the issue that I'm running into is that I have to go with where my studies are and my passion so that I can have an honest interview and not, you know, not just have you on here and care less about what you're speaking about. So I totally agree. I totally understand that. Um, I'm encouraging and praying. Oh, I'm sorry. Please. Yeah, that that was partly why you you were willing to check out my book, right? Because you said, I don't really read fiction much, but, you know, I thought that, yeah, that's really, we've all got to do that. We've all got to break out of our comfort zone and say, you know, let's read something that's different and, and you might be surprised at what you draw from it. So that's really cool to hear. One of my, one of my uh, uh, areas of that is I, I just fall in love with Jordan Peterson. Uh, do you know who Jordan Peterson is? I've heard the name. I'm not, I don't know that I'm too familiar though. Yeah. He's a, he's a, uh, he's become really famous in, on YouTube and, and broken into the news because political issues, but he's a, he's a, a clinical psychologist who also teaches at the university of Toronto and he's a Jungian, a car, you know, he follows Carl Jung and which, you know, I, I know a little bit about that and, and, you know, it's not Christian, but he's amazingly fascinating and he's written a number one book called the 12 rules for life. And he's a guy that I want to look into and read more of because even though he's not a Christian and he's, he's, he's very positive towards Christianity and towards Western civilization and he, in, in other words, he doesn't believe Christianity really happened, but he believes it's a useful myth. And of course, there's you know all kinds of philosophical problems with that. But uh, he's nevertheless he's resonating with just millions of people, and he's and so so anyway he's he's one of these one of those guys who's like you know I I would like to read him to be aware of of someone that's very influential, even though it's not the kind of thing I would normally want to read, you know. Hmm, and right. yeah, so I've got those two. Oh, that's cool. All right. So, Brian, thank you for your time. Um, please tell us where we can get our hands on your resources and your books and uh, the best yeah, way to maybe get in touch with you. Absolutely. Everything is on exclusively on Amazon. You can get all my books in paperback, ebook, or audiobook. 
And, um, but if you, you know, and of course, you know, there's descriptions of books before you buy them there, but if you, if you're still more curious before you want to look into buying a book and you want to learn more about me for free, go, just my Godawa.com. That's my, my website. All my books are there. I have all free information, free scholarly articles, a lot of artwork connected to all my novels. I even cast each of my novels with characters so you can see them, which is really cool. And, but if you want to learn a little bit more about me before actually, you know, going into buying, uh, then Godawa.com would, it, would be it. But everything uh, is at Amazon. So. Amen. Well, great. Thank you. And uh, if anybody would like to get in touch with you, is there a way that people can correspond with you? You know what? It's through the website. Uh, go to Godawa.com okay. and there's a you know a contact me type of thing there. You can you can contact me through that. Yep. Oh, that's great. Well, thank you again. And is there anything that I could pray for you about? Uh, boy, I haven't I haven't been asked that question on a podcast. <laughs> that's great, bro. Uh, uh, but you know what? Uh, pray that uh, that God would would um, Guide me in my research on preterism. <laughs> I know from your viewpoint it might be different from mine now, but uh, I, I, I really do want to just uh, truly face the scriptures and not be afraid, whatever they say. Uh, but I also want to, um, you know, um, I'm, I'm hungry and uh, I want to learn and um, I want to do so with an, with an open mind, but not be afraid to, uh, to, uh, yeah, to whatever, wherever my, wherever the truth leads me. Amen, amen. It's a First Thessalonians five twenty one journey, right? Hold, uh, examine yeah. everything carefully. Hold fast to that which is good, and let go of that which is bad or evil. And uh, I'll be praying for you and, in that regard. Know, if, if I could say, I don't want to extend this too far, but um, oh, um, please go ahead. And the, re- the reason why I say that is because I, I am aware that I know a lot of the guys in my camp actually you know, say that full preterism is a heresy and call you heretics and stuff like that. And I know that there could be a lot of animosity between the two groups. I'm not, I'm not in that. I'm, I don't, I don't think that way. I'm not, I don't think, I don't, I think full preterism is heresy. Um, but, but a lot of guys I respect do. And that kind of like me out. Um, and, and, uh, but I respect them. So I'm also very cautious and all that kind of stuff. And, and so that's kind of where I find myself in that even though I am in the partial predators camp, uh, I don't see it as – I don't agree with full predatorism, but I don't see it as a heresy. And, and I, I wish that there could be more uh, camaraderie between the two sides, but uh, I'm, not a, I'm, not a, I'm not familiar with what, where all the real divides come. So, uh, but nevertheless, I, I, I see that, that polarization that sadly – seems to be in just about everything in our society, politics, right? Uh, the, the differences between Protestants and Catholics, you know, we, we tend to be so extreme and we call the other side heretic. And, and I, I, I guess because, because I've been called a heretic, <laughs> I, 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 I realize that we, we really need to be more civil in how we are disagreeing. I guess that's what I'm putting, and that's why I'm putting it. And that's another one of the reasons why I'm, I'm grateful to be on your show and that you had me on and, and even though we're in different camps and all that, and, and I, I appreciate the conversation, the discussion, and the ability to, to have the open-minded discussion. Sadly, I think, you know, sometimes it seems to me like the full predators are more 
congenial and open-minded uh, in terms of, you know, be willing to bid, to discuss the issues than partial predators are. And, um, and that's, I, I, I'm sad for that, you know? So thanks. Hey, thank you. I appreciate that. You know, that actually led me to, uh, I wanted to just share two quotes from your book that, uh, as I let you go, um, that really challenged me and I believe should challenge anybody, um, in regard to the mission that we're really on in the end or in different parts of tyrant, you actually gave some little insights here. And this one was this, you said they spent too much time and energy quibbling over petty doctrines among themselves. And you spoke to the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the Essenes, the Zealots, rather than achieving real action and reform. And in my notes, I have real action, real action and form, you know, underlined. And then furthermore, you went on and you said, speaking to a lot of the political discontent there in the first century, which I believe we also see in our society today. Again, all the areas that we divide, whether it's religious discontent, whether it's political discontent, theological discontent, um, you pointed out that it takes more than just that discontent, emotional zeal, and charismatic leader to see effective results. Rather, it takes true believers and real strategy. And I think we can learn from that. Again, that his, what that should cause us to think about, as we talked about imagination, um, is to think about the efforts that would heal the nations, that would glorify God. And despite our area of disagreement, um, I find unity in the fact that the post-millennial understanding, we do see the beautiful things that are coming about as the gospel expands in our society. And that's where, you know, I can praise God with you, and I can say, you know what, let's continue to press on glorifying God and doing our best in edifying saints and not be so polemic in the way we go about it. So I could appreciate your thoughts in that regard. Thank you. Cool. Hey, but well, thanks a lot. Thank you for joining the show, and I look forward to further communicating with you um, in the future. Likewise. Thank you. All right. God bless you, Brian. Thank you. All right. Well, that was Brian Godawa joining the show. That was rather exciting to have him on. Uh, again, go ahead and visit Godawa.com and G-O-D, I'm going to mess it up now, G-O-D-A-W-A.com and get your hand on his resources. I'm going to bring our show to an end and uh, I do want to encourage you again, read more books. I found this great quote by John Piper. He said this in regard to reading books. Books don't change people. Paragraphs do. Sometimes even sentences, and I find that to be so true that it's usually the morsels of truth that are found throughout whatever I'm reading that truly have power to influence my life. And uh, Brian Godawa's book, Time, again, is a great resource in that regard. It stimulated my thought. It encouraged me toward loving God and loving others, a pure love. Um, it stimulated me to have a good conscience toward God, and, and it stimulated me to have a sincere faith, to search out the details, to have a great discussion and fellowship with other Brian. And I encourage you in that regard. So, again, thank you for taking some time to view the show, uh, to listen to the show. I would encourage you that if you're looking for any of my resources, some of which Brian uh, mentioned, I appreciated that. Uh, you can go to, on Google, just put in Google MGW Resources. And you'll see a link for my WordPress that will say MGW Resources. And you click on that and it will give you access by any of my three books, the Clarity Revelation Study Guide that we're actually doing on YouTube. Um, in the last couple of weeks, you can go to the Power of Preterism Network YouTube page and watch those videos if you do not follow me on Facebook Live. And uh, you can get that. You can get free by the New Covenant, my testimonial, or you can get 
wicked, which again um, leans in on the study of spiritual warfare and Satan and angels and demons and uh, seeks to offer a theological construct to get you to think or to develop an imaginative understanding of how these things were taking place throughout the biblical story and the biblical narrative. So I would encourage you to get your hands on those resources if you so will. And uh, I know I'm looking forward to this coming week. Uh, this Thursday is Predator Pilgrim Weekend in Ardmore, Oklahoma, as I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast. Again, encouraging you to go to eschatology.org and find out a little bit more about that free conference happening there. And uh, I'm also looking forward to the Spirit and Life Lectures that are happening uh, August 3rd through the 5th in at the Lakeshore Church of Christ in South Haven, Michigan. I'll be preaching on Saturday. I believe that's going to be August 4th. Um, I'll be preaching at 11 a.m. in regard to Revelation chapter 14. So I imagine it'll be videotaped and podcast. So uh, you can look forward to some thoughts from me. Maybe I'll be podcasting throughout that conference. And uh, I'm sure the saints will be edified. So I also have something coming up soon uh, after the Ardmore July 20th at 7.30 here on MGW Radio. Um, you can listen at this podcast link, which is blogtalkradio.com backslash MGW Radio. Um, you can listen here, and I'll be giving a lecture at Blue Point Bible Church at 7.30 p.m. Eastern um, on July, Friday, July 20th, regarding God's past judgment. We'll be talking a bit about wheat and the tares, the sheep and the goats that Brian had brought up, and uh, how that judgment applies um, in the past and how it applies in an applicational manner for the saints today. So we'll be talking about that and uh, all of that and more. You know, this will continue for the glory of God and the edification of the saints through MBW Apologetics. Hopefully you have liked Facebook fan page, uh, TPPN, which has come to an acronym for two different things, Power of Preterism Network, always emphasizing, providing, and highlighting the power that is being brought about by preterism, as you also were afforded some opportunity on today's podcast. And the Preterist Pastors Network, which is a network and brainstorm uh, think tank, help encourage pastors of preterist churches, as well as to build up and to create more pastors for preterist churches. And uh, that's going to be an exciting effort that you'll see continue to be developed by 2018 and into 2019. And then, of course, the Blue Point Bible Church. You can learn more at bluepointbiblechurch.org, and you can listen to our podcasts here at 11 a.m. Uh, Eastern, that is, um, on this blog talk program, um, and also uh, you can visit Buzzsprout, and you can listen to our podcasts there. The simple way I encourage people to do that is to go to Google, put in Point Bible Church Podcast, and you'll see a Buzzsprout link. It's a lot easier telling you backslash 1630. Just go to Google, put it in Point Bible Church Podcast, and you'll be afforded the opportunity to listen to our weekly podcast sermons. So, Thank you for taking some time out of your day. I'd like to just end this with a moment of prayer and uh, lifting up praise for God and uh, praying for Brother Brian and thanking God for those of you that are tuned in. Mighty God, we do thank you, Lord, for the privilege to be on the airwaves. We thank you for your renewed mercy, your grace, your knowledge, Lord, the abundant wisdom that you pour out as we seek and search for you, Lord. Uh, we do thank you for Brian and his books, his ministry, Lord, and all that he does to help edify the saints and to help us think through the things of God or to think about the things of God, Lord. So we just thank you for that. We glorify you. We do pray for him. We continue to be with him, be before him, be beside him as he's going through his study on preterism and all that he studies and endeavors to write out, Lord, that you would bless his books and his ministry and that you would uh, 
further provide edification for the saints through him, Lord. We thank you for walking worthy of his call. We thank you for the gift that you've given us, Lord. I thank you for all that are tuned in, that you would bless them in abundant ways, Lord, further leading them to edification, further leading them to glorification in you, Lord. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Go in peace, saints. Thank you for tuning in. Thank you.